people really don't care about you that much, to be honest. You're not as important as you think you are. Um, Simon and I fall into this bucket as well. You know, keep your stuff nice and short. Respect people's time. You know, um, keep it to the point. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Traction House Investment Marketing Podcast. My name is Chad Weston, and I'm here with my co-founder, Simon Yalbert. Hey, hey, Simon. How's it going? And today, we're actually going to be jumping into a conversation about social profiles. So last week, we talked about social selling and what it means to social sell and the importance of social selling, uh, the significance it holds for finance managers and financial advisors. Today, we're going to jump in and talk about something that we get asked about a lot, and this is what makes a good social profile? And specifically, we're talking today about LinkedIn and Twitter. And so we're going to jump in. We've got about 10 things that we want to talk about, top 10 uh, key themes that we want to cover that pretty much cover the full gamut for LinkedIn. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Twitter uh, at the end. So let's jump right in and get started. Yeah, I think the first thing to keep in mind here is that this is really your, uh, your landing page for yourself. At least in 2019, that's kind of how it looks like. Uh, if you Google pretty much anyone's name in Google, one of the first things that are going to come up is their LinkedIn profile. Uh, if you fully submit to social selling and you start reaching out to people on LinkedIn, uh, that's one of the first things that people are going to see. And it's once they read through your profile very quickly that they're going to make up their minds about, okay, do I engage with this person or do I not? Uh, so having a really good social profile on LinkedIn and on Twitter is actually very, very important for this. Yeah, absolutely. Overall, what we're trying to create here in a social profile is credibility and intrigue. When someone hears about you for the very first time and they Google you, just like Simon mentioned, and your LinkedIn profile pops up, there is a perception about who you are as a human being that you have the ability to control and manage a little bit in the way your profile is presented. And you know, it's a classic term, perception is reality. Now it's obviously your responsibility to be honest and make sure that the perception you create matches the authenticity of the person that you are offline. But you still have an opportunity to put put forward a digital presence that um, is professional and can be something that creates credibility about who you are and creates intrigue towards what you're all about. And so going through the list of 10 things today, the, the end goal is to make you look credible and to create intrigue with your prospects. Um, and this is all about the perception that we create in, in the profile itself. So we're going we're gonna to go through this pretty quick. Um, but what we, one thing we do suggest that Simon brought up earlier before we jumped on the podcast and started recording was it's going to be helpful if you do have access to a computer right now, jump on your LinkedIn profile or just jump on LinkedIn in general and take a look at other people's profiles. Um, because we're going to be spot talking specifically about different sections, different parts of text. Um, so it does get a little bit technical, but, uh, we hope that by the end, you'll have a much better understanding of what makes a strong social profile specifically on LinkedIn and Twitter and, uh, what's going to help you rise above the noise of the, uh, the attention economy. Uh, so let's jump right in. Let's talk about number one. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that people are going to look at, whether you like it or not, whenever someone goes to your profile, is your profile picture. Uh, and there's a few things that you can do just to make sure that it is conducive to the rest of what uh, of your offer uh, and that you don't lose anyone there. The first thing you're going to want to make sure is that you have a clear picture. If it's grainy, uh, if, if just the resolution is not that great, already you're losing points. Uh, you should be dressed how like it's expected of you to show up to work every day. So I mean, we've seen everything from people showing up with jeans and T-shirts, and you know they work in financial services, to women showing up with full-on prom gowns. It, it just it just really doesn't look that good. Um, 
the other thing that you're going to really want to pay attention to is, is just the image itself. So if it's cropped, so for example, if there is a, uh, if it's a square picture that you're trying to fit into LinkedIn's uh, round frame, and then you can see the sides are kind of are kind of cut off on the sides, that just really doesn't look good. One of the last things too is you really want to look, um, you want to really want to make sure that it is only you in the picture. So if it's a group shot, no one really knows who you are in that picture. We've also seen the picture of, of maybe sometimes you're there with a celebrity. We don't really care that you once met George W. Bush. You should just have you in there. That's probably the best way to go. Uh, and then one last thing is you want to make sure that it's relatively recent. So if you look completely different in real life than you do in your LinkedIn picture, uh, probably not great. Not a great picture to to, uh, to pick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other quick tip that I just thought about here, which is kind of neat that we're starting to see, is you can control a, a border. You can put a little nice colored border around your photo. And when you're listed in a prospect list, when someone's searching for asset managers or financial advisors in your city, most 90% of the photos, 95% of the pictures are just going to be the picture cropped in a circular form. But if you've got a cool colored circular border around your photo, it's just another little piece uh, it's a subtle thing that can help you distinguish uh, your profile against all the other ones in the list, which is kind of neat. Number two is the banner image. So the banner image is the graphic that goes behind your picture. It's about it's a landscape style picture, and LinkedIn lets you set it. It's some of the things that we're seeing that we really like um, in this in the banner image is stuff that's local to your community. So give it a bit of a hometown feel. So cityscapes, if you're in New York or if you're in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Toronto, Montreal, etc. Um, you know, do something that's got a city vibe that's local to where you live and where you work. Um, this could be inner street shots. It could be larger cityscapes. Um, if you live out in a country or more rural area, any kind of um, landmark or something that distinguishes your geographic location, that, that seems to work really well. Um, just give it a hometown feel. But if you're not going to use that, do stuff that's bright colors. Typically, bright colors work well. Something that's exciting, engaging. Avoid using the default LinkedIn node, that light blue node thing. Um, make it look like you put some effort into your profile and put something custom there. The other thing you want to avoid with the banner image is baking text into the photo. I can't tell you how many times I come across a guy who's trying to sell a service, a consulting service, and he's got the three top value prop bullet points baked into his banner image, but the problem is that banner image gets cropped when you go to mobile or iPads and stuff like that, and then it gets cut off, and it just looks really bad. So if you can, don't bake text. And what I say by bake text is when you're creating the image, don't type text onto the image and then save it as a JPEG. Just leave it as a picture. Um, it's going to look a lot better, and it'll translate across uh, browser devices and stuff like that. Yeah, there's enough There's enough text in that profile. Yeah. You don't need to add some there. Yeah, absolutely. Number three. Um, so the, the third thing is your headline. So you'll recognize that because most people have it as like positioning company. So founder at Google, for example. And what we've found is that, man, that's actually not that effective. It's a lot better to be very buyer centric. So what you essentially want to be able to say, like as a formula is, I help X segment do Y value with Z method. So for Chad and I, for example, we have something along the lines of we help finance and sales teams drive pipeline using LinkedIn. And the reason we have it there is because it's very important whenever you're in sales, whatever you do, for people to understand very quickly what it is that you do for a living. Uh, and sometimes your title, your title in your position, uh, your title in your company doesn't really 
do it that great of justice. In getting ready for this, we actually took a look at about, I don't know, 50? Yeah, 50, 50 to 100 50, profiles. Yeah, profiles. And we found a few that uh, that we actually liked quite a few. So one is from a gentleman called Deepak Patel. And his was, I help financial advisors, RIA, and wealth managers get clients and AUM consistently with my advisor algorithm program. It's hard not to know what Deepak does for a living, and it's a little bit more compelling than the usual founder at X algorithm company. Uh, there's another gentleman, his first name was uh, Pavel. Uh, I help great financial advisors make better financial decisions uh, for their clients with financial planning. It's pretty pretty straight and to the point, but we really do think that this makes a big difference whenever people are scanning your profile. Big time. All right, so the slogan is kind of like your opening line. It's definitely something that people will see. It's the second most visible element other than your name and your picture, or third most visible element. Um, the other one is your bio. So the bio is the text paragraph. This is LinkedIn allows you to put a little bit more meat onto your bio, but it's a it's a, you know a, it's a chunk of text. It could be anywhere from three to five paragraphs. Sometimes even it's just a single paragraph, where it's kind of about you. It's a little bit more of a an unpacking of who you are, what you're all about. And there's something you want to know note about the bio is when somebody goes to your profile on mobile on LinkedIn, there's what's called the fold. And the fold in web development, web design, and user experience design is what's visible on initial load. So if somebody views your profile, if you go and pull up LinkedIn right now and pull up somebody's profile, what you see initially without having to scroll, that's the fold. And inside the fold, below your picture, below your banner, below your um, name and, and slogan, is the first 80 characters of your bio. Now, interestingly enough, this also shows up in search results, potentially on Google or in um, when people are searching you in LinkedIn. Um, so what you say in the first 80 characters, the first one to two sentences typically, is really important. Simon has a really good thought here. It's like basically the cost of being bad is a lot more, does a lot more damage than the benefits of being good. So put a lot of thought into your biography. Don't, and the other thing you do is you don't want to be plain vanilla. So the first 80 characters is the perception you're trying to create is could I have a beer with this guy? Is he cool? Um, this is, you know, at least this somebody. This is somebody who comes across as a real person. He's not just, you know, an arm for a big bank who's just got, you know, something shoved down down his throat from compliance. I know that sounds a little harsh, but if you have any flexibility at all, try and at least get a more personable, heartfelt note uh, or biography approved by compliance, so that you can come across as more personal and you can rise above a lot of the vanilla that's out there. And the, I don't really have a specific example of what you'd want to put in your bio, but I have a, a large broad stroke that I want to encourage you to think about. Think about something along the line, like a heart level type statement. Something that's mission, vision, value, investment philosophy oriented, something that you hold a strong conviction about in your professional career. You can use a famous quote, you can get a little bit philosophical, but so you can open up with something like, I believe, dot, 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 and you can complete that sentence. But make a statement about who you are and how you operate and the, and the mindset by which you bring to your career. You know, this allows you to get personal. It allows you to get honest. And potentially, it stays away from any compliance issues because you're not really talking about your performance or specifically what you do in your value delivery. This is a little bit more heartfelt, and it's a great way to achieve a much more personal feel in your bio. So this is, you got to remember, this is 
you want it to come across that this is you speaking. This is not a canned cookie cutter paragraph full of vanilla jargon. And yes, we do understand, like I said before, compliance is a thing you gotta deal with in the finance space, we get it. But if you can work with your compliance team, if you can go through hearsay, or if, you can, if you're a smaller boutique firm, you know, work with your compliance office and say, look, I get it, we need to be sure that what we're saying on, on our stuff is kosher, but try and be personal. Try and at least have a collaborative effort with your compliance team to get something on here that's a little bit more beyond experienced financial asset manager with 15 years experience and these things, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, that's on every single asset manager's profile. You're just going to get buried in the noise if that's what's on your profile. And then for the rest of your bio, just to wrap this up, do always write in first person. You know, like everyone knows you write your stuff yourself. Don't write it to about yourself in the third person. It just comes across as just really, you know, arrogant and, you know, people call you out on that stuff. So keep your bio short and to the point, you know. People really don't care about you that much, to be honest. You're not as important as you think you are. Um, Simon and I fall into this bucket as well. Mm. You know, keep your stuff nice and short. Respect people's time. You know, um, keep it to the point. If you can talk about results, do it. If you've got some strong wins in your career, quantified, you know, if you could talk about big portfolio gains that you can talk about in the past, some portfolios that are now closed, no longer active. If you're allowed to do that kind of stuff, it might help. But otherwise, you want to be emphasizing your specialties. You want to be emphasizing the areas of the asset management space that you own, that you're good at, you're an expert in, you focus in, and just make sure you establish relevance with your core audience. And don't be redundant. The other thing, too, is don't use this bio to talk about your 15 years experience and your company history because there's a whole dedicated section in your profile that talks about your career history. That's a little bit. Just like I said, guys, when it comes to your bio, have some personality. Really be heart level get philosophical, talk and stand behind what you believe. This is an opportunity for you to get behind your investment philosophy and really express that. Um, but yeah, that's the bio. Number six. So number six is, is actually kind of funny and yeah, unfortunate sometimes, but do you have a premium or a sales navigator account associated with your account? And the only reason why that is, is because it gives you a nice little gold LinkedIn logo right next to your name. Yeah. Um, and that's just psychology. Like if some people have badges and some people don't, we tend to like the people with the badges the most. <laughs> uh, and really all premium does is, is show that you are invested in platform and that you take, you, you know, you take your professional endeavors seriously. Uh, that's really all, that's really all it means. But it, in our work, we've seen that it truly does make a considerable difference. Huge. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. Number seven, number seven is follower count. Now this might seem a little bit shallow but people do judge you based on the size of your network and how active you are how much you're followed how much you're paid attention to social proof is a very real thing in the game of uh, perception and rhetoric and so you want to have at least a thousand if not two thousand to five thousand followers or more and this just shows that you've been in the game a long time it, it indicates a couple of things. It indicates that you've been on LinkedIn for a while, you've invested in your profile and your LinkedIn social network, and you've got a lot of people that you're connected with. You're, it, it, you know, it points to the fact that you're probably a busy, active professional who's just engaged in his in his world. The other the other anecdotal benefit that comes from a large network, well, actually, there's a couple, is the more followers you have in the same vertical, the higher likelihood that you're going to have a thing called mutual connections with your new connections. So if you go to any profile right now in your first connections, you'll, you're going to see that beside the profile of the followers list, you've also got a list of mutual connections. And it's advantageous for you to have a lot of mutual connections with a cold prospect. 
that cold prospect will see, oh, wow, you also know Johnny and you know Sally and you know the Sheik. You know, you know other people in the network um, that I'm connected to. And so there's a bit of a, a, a closer degree of separation that happens with that. And it just creates a little bit more of a warm reception on the on the when you're cold prospecting. So the more followers you have, the more first connections you have, the larger network you have, the larger opportunity there is for you to have mutual connections with people that you're reaching out to cold for the first time. So that's a big one. All right, number eight. Uh, so at the bottom or close to the bottom of your profile, you have an experience and education section. And that's actually one of the things that I look at the most whenever someone reaches out to me. And one of the things that I look for is first, do I recognize any of these companies? How long have they stayed at each company? But one of the things and one of the ways that I see a lot of people messing up is that they don't actually have a logo next to all the companies that they worked at. It just shows this like gray house or building looking thing. And, uh, and sometimes that just looks a little bit fishy. It looks a little bit less credible than if there's an actual logo there. And maybe it's because we've been in the business for so long, but we've seen a lot of people fake different things about their profiles. And if there isn't a logo there, I, my mind kind of goes there a little bit, uh, unfortunately. And for your, for your education, start at university. I can genuinely say with, with quite a bit of confidence that no one will care where you went to middle school, but we see it, we see it all the time. We see it all the time. Start with your bachelor's degree and then just go up from there. You don't need to go any less than that. That's awesome. Okay, number nine is articles and activities section. So this is a conglomeration of your recent posts. This is your activity. This is stuff you've commented on, stuff you've liked. Um, make sure that you've liked, commented on, or posted at least five times. In, in recent months because that will fill out this section and it'll at least create the perception on a whim that you're active. Um, it's better to have obviously really recent stuff. It's better to have organic posts and articles that you actually write but even if it's filled with stuff that you've liked, commented on, shared, at least it shows that you're an engaged member of the community and you're somebody that's you know taking their their position in LinkedIn seriously. The one thing I will caution you on though is if you do get in a comment war with somebody about a hot topic I don't know if that's like Trump or any of the major hot topics in the States or whatever, but um, if you do get in a comment war or something like that, that stuff does show up in your activity. So just keep in mind that you know when, you, when it comes to conduct on LinkedIn, um, this is a place where your history in engagement on the, on the platform does show up. So make sure that you're, you're just conducting yourself accordingly. That's all I'm saying there. All right, round it off with number 10. Uh, so we just talked about all the things that we want you to do. Uh, there's a couple things that really don't matter when it comes to your LinkedIn profile and unfortunately a lot of people spend a lot of time there. Um, so your accomplishments, the endorsements that you get, your interests, quite honestly, people don't really look at those. And the main reason behind them is most people know that those things are just, they're your friends clicking on things, they're writing stuff for you, your interests don't really matter. Yeah. There's just not a whole lot of stock to be put in there. It's just fluff. Yeah, the other stuff yeah. is a lot more meaty. Okay, so that wraps up the 10 things you want to think about when optimizing your LinkedIn profile. Um, just to recap again, the point of all this is to create the perception of credibility and intrigue for somebody who doesn't really know you, is getting to know you online, know you digitally. If you follow these 10 things, you just kind of keep these guidelines in mind, it's really going to, we hope that's going to help you accomplish those two things, credibility and intrigue. The other thing you want to think about too is keep your keep the tone buyer-centric. Keep your buyer, your core prospects, 
the people that you want to do business with, keep those people in mind when you're designing your profile and writing it out. These are ultimately the people that are going to judge you. Um, this is going to, they're going to pin you against a whole bunch of other people like you in your industry and in your geography. So if you're going to stand out, make sure you're really appealing to the psyche of your buyer. Um, so the better you know your buyer, it's also helpful. Okay, and to wrap things up, we're going to jump into Twitter and spend a few minutes just talking about Twitter accounts. Um, Simon, take it away. Yeah, so the same thing applies to Twitter as it did to LinkedIn. The profile picture is very important. Again, make sure it's clear. Make sure it's professional, although it doesn't have to be as professional as it is on, uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, your banner image, something local, just like Chad said earlier, is something that's that's really good to emulate on Twitter as well. And then something else that that matters on Twitter, uh, that's a bit different on LinkedIn, is that blue check mark that you sometimes see next to some profiles. That is essentially, by definition, just Twitter verifying that you are actually who you are, and it's usually public figures who who get that. So, for example, there's probably a hundred, two hundred Michael Jordan Twitter uh, Twitter accounts. Um, there's only one with that blue check mark, and you can be sure that, that that account has validated or at least has proven the fact that that is actually Michael Jordan. So you can ignore all the other ones. If you have that thing next to you, it kind of shows to people that like, hey, this person might be important enough for people to emulate uh, and to fake, you know, fake their person. Uh, so that that actually does mean quite a bit. And the the, the funny thing about this is that. To get the LinkedIn Premium badge on your account on, on LinkedIn, you, you just have to pay LinkedIn to get that. But for Twitter, to get that blue check mark, you can actually apply, and they're the ones who are going to look at your account and, and make sure that you uh, that it's justifiable that you would get that blue uh, that blue check mark. What are some of the things that your account has to have in order to get a blue check mark? What does Twitter look for? I think they just look for a lot of different followers, and the other thing that they're look that they're going to look like is pr they probably do a bit of a search on you. Yeah. Um, so that helps. And the other thing they're going to look at too is like if there's multiple people with your name or trying to be you on Twitter, then that's a pretty easy way to uh, to get that blue check mark. But of course, that's going to be the case for, for very few of us. Okay. What about follower count? Do people care about follower count? For sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's also so. So follower count, obviously, I mean, how do you develop a good following on Twitter, by the way? Like how do you get that follower count up? Mm -hmm. One of the best ways to do it is just by following a lot of people yourself and a lot of people are going to follow you back. Mm, okay. Um, and what you want to do is you want to engage with people that are just posting on Twitter. Um, some people have done some nefarious things and like hired bots to get them <laughs> to get them their their followers, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a, in a minute. But you definitely don't want to do that because there's some red flags that come that come associated with that. But really, you just want to be engaged. Uh, take advantage of hashtags. Okay. Uh, tag people in your posts. And you'll see it's not it's not that hard to get 500 to 700 followers on uh, on Twitter over the course of over the course of a couple of months. All right, and then finally, what else do you have to have in Twitter to look to get credible and to create intrigue? Yeah, whenever people look at uh, whenever people looked at your profile, they want to see that you're actually doing something on Twitter. Uh, if you're not, then why would they ever connect with you? So if there are some recent things that you've shared or commented on or posted. Make sure they're good. Make sure it's you. Make sure it's conversational. Uh, one of the things that we really like to do is to pin the post that did really well to the top of our profile. And really all that means is Twitter allows you to have one post at the top of your feed that stays there permanently, no matter if you post something afterwards, which is how most uh, most feeds work. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, so what most people would get to see when they first get to your Twitter profile is the thing that did the best. Pr gotcha. A pretty good thing. Pretty yeah. good thing. 
Okay, so you mentioned this thing about bots. What's the what's the big issue there with bots, and what how does that affect your your credibility? Yeah. So since since follower count is a big thing that people look at whenever they they take into account your Twitter profile, a lot of people all just went out and auto added. They they built bots that auto added people or auto followed people. A percentage of those would follow you back, but it'd be people that you would never have met before, right? So there's people that they, they have nothing to do with you. So what ended up happening is that those people who hired those bots would then post stuff on LinkedIn. They had a million followers, but then they would get one, two likes, three oh, likes. Oh, I see. So there's a huge discrepancy between how many people are following you versus engaging your content. That's right. So that's how you can call out somebody who's hired bot farms or A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And if someone sees that that's kind of what you did and it's hard to mistake, you kind of start thinking, okay, if this person would go to that length to get followers... Can I really trust this person? Totally. Or is this an honest person that's going about this the right way? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, guys. That wraps up our advice for optimizing your social profiles for conversion and uh, just an overall creating that perception of credibility and intrigue on LinkedIn and Twitter. Again, Simon and I are all in on the finance space, so we're really trying to speak to a finance-focused audience. But a lot of this stuff can apply to also B2B, um, SaaS companies, enterprise startups, um, if you're a business development representative or any of those kinds of prospecting roles where you're active in the prospecting um, in cold outreach game, um, a lot of these kinds of rules can apply to you as well. So don't keep that in mind. The one last thing I want to say is on LinkedIn, um, one of the things that Simon and I specialize in is helping you get and grow your LinkedIn network. So if you do have any questions or you want to, you are interested in, in growing and developing out your network and building out that 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 follower count on LinkedIn, um, you know, send Simon and I a direct message right on LinkedIn or uh, send us an email, Simon or Chad at traction.house and we'd be happy to chat you've been listening to the traction house investment marketing podcast designed to help investment advisors and marketing practitioners leverage content marketing to rise above the noise in today's crowded fragmented attention economy capture investor mindshare and ultimately grow their aum we hope you found today's conversation insightful stay tuned for more